get moving. I say this all the time, but you know, I use this term, it's a ready, fire, aim. Welcome, my friend, to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and before we get into the show in today's episode, which I know you'll get a lot of value from because we're, we stay out of all the fluffy stuff and we get straight into the good stuff of real estate investing advice, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, and that's Patch of Land. Uh, they are making this show possible, and they're making tons of flipping projects possible all across the country. If you don't know about Patch of Land, then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now. Um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower, um, you're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the, the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's, project's a success. Uh, they've got something really cool for you. So um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding, uh, they've come up with a guide. It's called the Top 10 Crowdfunding Questions Guide. And they're all the, the questions that you might be asking yourself. And they're all the answers. They don't leave you hanging. They've got answers too. All the answers to those, those 10 crowdfunding questions. So you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Uh, and if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, I'd check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. How you doing, best ever listeners? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and... We're going to talk to a best ever guest as we do on most episodes, and he's going to give us his best real estate investing advice ever. But before he does, and before I announce who our wonderful guest is today, we are all about giving you your insight and information that you need to move your real estate investing business forward. This show is all about cutting through all the fluff and getting to insights that lead to action, that lead to business results in real estate investing business. We've interviewed Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad Poor Dad, Jay Papazan from Keller Williams, and now... We are interviewing Joe Evangelisti. How you doing, Joe? Awesome, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, my pleasure, my friend. And Joe is based in Haddonfield, New Jersey. He specializes in flips and he builds flips and new builds in South Jersey. And he flips about thirty-five homes a year. That is a lot of homes to be flipping every year, and he's been doing it for about eight years. So uh, he's actively flipping homes. He's been doing it for almost a decade. He's also educating people about what he's learned on his wonderful podcast. You got to go check it out. It's called the Flip King Real Estate Radio Show. And 
separately, but I'm sure it's connected into what he kind of his success as a real estate investor. He's a decorated veteran who served in the Navy for about six years and holds letters of com- commendation. That's the word. Yeah. Commendation. Yeah. Got it. Commendation from the U.S. Navy and the White House, a letter of appreciation from President Clinton and numerous other service medals from the U.S. Navy and Secretary of Defense. So first and foremost, thank you for your service. Absolutely, man. Thank you. With that being said, do you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you, you heard I had, I had kind of a military background. I came, I was a builder in the Navy, so I wasn't wasn't on the boats and the ships, but I was. Uh, I followed the Marine Corps around and we built like bases and runways and, and uh, buildings and stuff like that. So my background has always been building. So that's what always kind of interested me in, in real estate was it started out with the construction, you know, the bricks and mortar, sticks and bricks, we call them. And, um, you know, and then it kind of led into, well, you know, the, the money-making aspect is really cool here. So, you know, let me take what I know from the construction piece and let me try to apply it into, you know, fixing and flipping these houses for profit. So that's kind of how I got it all started. Where did you learn how to build runways and then transition that into homes? <laughs> build runways to homes. Well, you know, in the Navy, again, uh, I, I was a builder. So I mean, a lot of that background came from, uh, you know, from them, from training that I received through the military. You know, turning that into uh, a real estate empire, you know, came from uh, just having the construction background. So, you know, we started flipping homes back in uh, at the end of 07, back when the market was just about ready to collapse. And, um, you know, really did everything by hand back then. Me and one of my business partners, you know, literally flipped a four bedroom, two and a half bath home by hand, every, every single trade, you know, electrical, plumbing, you know, carpentry, that kind of thing. So that's what got us kicked off. We did our first flip by hand and, and I wouldn't recommend that to anybody <laughs> after your first one. Yeah, especially someone like me who barely knows how to kind of hammer a nail into a wall, let alone do the plumbing. With the the four bedroom, two and a half bath house, was that your first purchase? Yeah. Yeah, that was our first purchase, like I said, back in 07. I had two partners at the time and uh, we bought it kind of the opposite of the way that I that I kind of teach people to buy homes today, which is, you know, we went to a bank, we put 25% down. It was a, a pretty large purchase at the time. I think we paid 250 for it. So we put 25% down between the three of us. And that money that uh, came out of my savings account in 07 is still stuck in that house. So, uh, you know, I found a way to kind of, you know, reinvent the system a little bit so that I didn't have to put my own money out of pocket. And, you know, thank God, because I would have ran out of money eventually. We couldn't have made any more, you know, we couldn't have put any more houses after a couple. Yeah. What's that new system? How are you doing it now? Yeah. So now um, we do it a couple different ways, but uh, one of the ways, you know, I kind of call it, I call it the replacement recipe. There's a couple of different variations of, of this, of this format, but Essentially, I, I, we buy homes with other people's money. We OPM. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with that, Joe. I mean, you've been doing this a while. We buy properties with cash investors. And once we're done the rehab, we're either going to rent the property out for a long-term hold, at which point I already know on the front end that I'm going to be able to refinance out my investor on the back end. So I'm basically replacing their money with long-term bank financing, right? And at that point, I have either no money out of pocket or Better yet, sometimes we walk away from the closing table with money from the refinance. So we're basically paying ourselves to keep a property. That would be one exit strategy. And then the other one, obviously, is to just flip it and make your profit and pay your investor back off. But either way, it doesn't involve any of your own capital to, to get into, which is really, you know, like I think is the, is the best way to, to multiply your efforts 
in this business. When you're doing the rent it out for long term and then you finance the investor out of the deal, is that a tricky conversation with the investor when you talk to them before? I mean, obviously you're telling them what the exit strategy is before you get into the deal. So it's not a surprise to them, but telling them, hey, I want to I wanna finance you out and I'm going to basically use the money that you gave me and leverage that so that I have a long-term hold? Or is that just a non-issue? No, I, I think it's like anything else. It's the way that you uh, situate the conversation. I call it future pacing. So the way that you, you, you talk about the future in the current conversation, you're kind of getting people set up and acclimated for what's going to happen. When we talk to our investors, we tell them that we have multiple exit strategies. So first and foremost, our, our investors don't have equity. So, I mean, these are investors that are getting a, a cash return or a, a, a return on their investment, whatever the number is that we negotiate. But we let them know ahead of time, look, I mean, we have multiple ways of getting out of the deal. And I've always attacked deals that way because I want to make sure depending on what the market is doing and any type of fluctuation, we have some sort of out. You know what I mean? I mean, people who just go in to fix and flip a house and that's their only way out, they're really kind of stuck, right? If the market takes a change and they have a 10 or 20% profit margin and the market drops by 15%, well, then they're either going to break even or lose money if they sell that property. Well, the rental market being as hot as it is, we might be able to just turn around and rent that property and go for long-term financing. It gets that investor out. So it kind of gives the investor, in my opinion, a more a better sense of, uh, of surety that the property, you know, they're going to get their money back out, you know, or, or that it's a safer investment for them. How are you able to finance the property? How many buy and holds do you have roughly? We're somewhere north of 75 units now, I think, but we're probably acquiring them at a rate of probably 40 or 50. We're, we're, we're really moving. We're probably at 40 or 50 a year, in, you know, incoming. So we're really starting to focus on the buy and hold aspect at this point where we didn't really as much in the last couple of years. So how do you get the financing for it and finance it out? Um, is that just through your personal financial statement or is that an LLC that you set up that's been established? What's the bank looking at? Uh, the bank's always looking at an LLC. We have multiple LLCs. We buy everything in an LLC. So what happens is we basically have a relationship. I, I like to use local banks, especially depending on the size of the, of the actual deal. We like to use local banks because of the speed at which they move. You know, when you go with bigger national banks, it takes a lot longer. But I kind of know my bank comfortability level of where they're going to refinance before we get into a deal. So let's say I know that I can buy a property and that I can be into it for 150 but I know it's worth 200 And I know that if I can rent it for $2,000 a month, my bank will give me back at least the 150 Right? Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So let's say I have an investor in for 150 Now, my hope is that I can refinance 160 170 and I can put some cash in our pocket at the refinance. But either way, I know that we're covered. If the market were to shift, I still can get you know $2,000 a month to rent the property out. I know that I can cover that investor's cash and I can refinance them out. Because let's be honest, I mean, investor cash is more expensive. It's going to drain you over the long haul. So you want to get that money out. You know, if you're paying long-term bank, bank financing, 20, 25-year amortization, you're going to have a lot better cash flow and you get that investor out, then you can turn that thing into a cash flow and rental property and walk away from the closing with a couple grand in your pocket, which is always a good day. You mentioned that the investors don't have equity. They have debt in the deal where basically it's a hard money loan. What is the paperwork that's involved with that? Well, all of our investors are cash investors. They're not a syndicate or a company or anything like that. I mean, literally guys writing checks out of their, out of their checkbook. We give them a note and a mortgage just like any other mortgage company. So they become the mortgage company, which is really key in the refinance because the bank on the back end that's doing the refinance 
is not looking at them as if they're, uh, you know, a personal loan or anything like that. I mean, they're actually refinancing on a mortgage. So for them, you know, they know exactly what they're getting into and they know what the payoff is. So they know how to do the refinance. Help me understand that a little bit more. So sure. they write a check. Are they, explain that for me, will you? Okay. So let's just keep it simple. Because what I'm curious about is you said they're, they're only debt. So to me, that's just a specific loan at a specific interest rate. But then whenever you said it's kind of backed by real estate and the bank's looking at them, help me understand all of that. Yeah, no, totally. So, so let's just say, it's a, let's just keep the numbers really simple. Let's say it's a $100,000 loan and let's say it's a 10% interest rate over the course of a year. Okay. So I borrow $100,000 from the, uh, the, the cash investor. And then we go to the end where let's say we did rent it out, okay? The bank that's looking at the payoff, there's going to be a mortgage and a note recorded for the personal, for the personal loan that came in at the beginning, right? It's going to have a payoff of $110,000, let's say, because it accrued 10000 in interest. We good so far? Yep. So we have a $110,000 note. Now I go ahead and I put a tenant in place. And I know based on my rental and, and using the math that the bank gives me, I know what my debt coverage needs to be in order to refinance $110,000, keep it simple. So I'll know when I go into the deal that the bank's going to be able to refinance that 110 assuming I can rent the property at X. So I go to a long-term lender at the end. We get a tenant in place. They refinance out the original personal loan for $110,000, but they have a mortgage and a note that they, they're going to cancel out, right? So they're going to assume that mortgage and note, they're going to refinance that mortgage and note out, and then they're going to put a new mortgage and note in place. So our lenders are basically getting our original per, you know, cash lenders are getting a mortgage and a note just like they were a bank. So the bank is looking at it like they're refinancing another bank, which is really the best way for a refinance to occur. That makes sense. That makes sense. Makes a little more sense? Yeah, I guess the only follow-up question I have to that is, does the original hard money lender have the title in their name? Is that how it works? No, no. We're taking the title just like it's our property, just like we're going to a different bank. So if you think of that initial hard money lender, just think of them like a bank. It's not hard money where everybody, you know, hard money nowadays has a couple different weird connotations, right? So most people think of hard money as like as like a transactional-based funding, like it's going to be a day or it's going to be two days or it's going to be 10 days, right? Is that kind of what you would think most of your lenders, your, your listeners think of when they think of hard money? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. It, it, it might be more long-term. Well, this is just... So more long-term, long-term lending, long-term uh, deal. So it might be a one-year note on that money. It could be longer depending on you know what the transaction looks like, what type of deal we're getting into, that type of thing. Okay. Are there uh, so so the tax tax implications would be what for the lender? And I know you're not a CPA, but um, are are there any unique uh, unique aspects of participating? No, because they're not participating. They're just lending. I mean, it's a straight. They're not participating in the deal. They don't have equity in the deal. They don't have a piece of the deal. It's just a straight loan with uh, with an interest rate attached to it. Got it. Got it. So basically, you go to them. You say, "I've got this piece of property. I want to buy it all cash, and uh, I'll give you ten percent interest. Give me a hundred thousand. That'll be enough." Does that cover the property plus the improvements? Yeah, so we always, when we go for our, for our lenders, we always do property improvements, closing costs, and holding costs. And then they get their interest in the back end. So that there's not a whole lot, if any, cash out of our pocket. Depending on how rich the deal is, we may actually overborrow a little bit 
so that we're protecting ourselves. So if I need 110,000, but I know at the end that the property is going to be worth, you know, X, I might borrow 120 or 130 because we want to cover ourselves in the deal. And that includes purchase, improvements, holding costs, you know, the whole gamut. And do you get paid at all at the beginning or only whenever the disposition happens? Well, we walk away from the, the, uh, the acquisition settlement. We walk away with the full amount of what's left over in the loan. So let's say um, I have a property that I borrowed for 100 and I'm putting 20 into it and I have $10,000 in holding costs and, and, um, and other miscellaneous fees. I'm going to walk away from that settlement with $30,000 roughly. Okay. Are those fees that are profit or are those fees that are allocated for anticipated costs over the hold period? Well, they're both, right? Because if I, if I borrowed, um, you know, $20,000 for improvements and 10000 for holding, let's say I did the rehab and it only cost me fifteen, and the holding only cost me six, or, you know, whatever the number is, that spread that's left over is going to go right back in our pocket. I mean, that's our money. The money that we're borrowing at that moment is all our money. So no matter what we decide to do with that money at that point, it's ours. Now, our lenders hope that we're going to go rehab a house, right? But, you know, I mean, at, which we always do. But, you know, you're leaving the table with that money. So at that point, that money's yours. Yeah, no, I understand that. I understand. I'm just, I'm just wondering once the dust settles on, because you can borrow a billion dollars, but if you have a billion dollars worth of anticipated costs, then even though you have a billion dollars at closing, Understood. then you, yeah. you basically netted zero. So my, that's my question. Like, are you putting in a fee at closing or do you receive your fee, the profit, once you sell or refinance the property? A little bit of that profit is always up front, and then the majority of it is on the back end. Got it. I would say, to answer it. your question, yeah. Okay. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Wow. That's a powerful question. I, I probably should have known you were going to answer that question, huh? <laughs> so best real estate investing advice ever is to get moving. I say this all the time, but you know, I use this term, it's a ready, fire, aim. You know, I think that so many people that, that come to us, and I'm sure you get the same thing, but the majority of people that are asking me questions on a weekly basis are either, they're either, they're always caught up in some sort of uncomfortable state, right? So like if they haven't invested yet at all, they have a billion questions because they haven't got out there and done a deal yet. But then there's also those people who have done three or four or five deals and I'll sit down with them and I'll say, look, you made X amount of dollars. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's, it's twice what you made at your job last year. And yet they're still uncomfortable getting ready to do that next deal or the bigger deal or, you know, more deals than one at a time. You know what I mean? So like for myself, and, and I think that this is true for everybody because you're all, we're always going to be uncomfortable at some sort of level. And so I talk about being, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Because if you're just happy and comfortable and everything feels good, then you're probably not pushing yourself to a limit that you're capable of. So when we actually get outside of our comfort zone and we do things that we're not comfortable doing, we grow and we expand at a much bigger level, at a much more rapid level. So my advice would always be to just get out there and, and do something that makes you feel uncomfortable. And, and I'm not saying, you know, jump off a bridge, but, you know, if you feel like buying a rental property is going to make you uncomfortable, then go buy a rental property, you know, because you'll learn to get comfortable owning that rental property. And, and two years from now, you'll look back on it and you'll say, well, that was easy owning that rental property. I'm glad I did that because now I own 20 rental properties, right? But if you don't get started, if you don't aim and shoot, and worry, and you know, worry about the worry about the rest later. You're never going off the off the fence, you know. And I think a lot of people are stuck on that fence at, at any at any level of investing. There's there's you know, the people are going to be stuck on the fence. So 
I always encourage people to just do it. I mean, you got to look at some of the bigger guys in this in this space, you know, the Grant Cardones of the world. I mean, Grant was nervous at one point buying an 18-unit apartment building. You know, now he owns, I think his goal is to own a half a billion dollars in real estate or something like that. You know, Grant's not an old guy. You know, Grant had to make those decisions at some point. And so do each one of us at the same time. I mean, Joe, you just mentioned to me before the show that you, you guys just tackled a 250-unit apartment building. I mean, I'm sure that made you feel uncomfortable, right, at some point? Sure. At some point in the past, yes, it would have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. But now it doesn't. I mean, for a lot of people listening, 250 units would scare the crap out of them. But, you know, at the end of the day, 250 might not be that big to certain people. And I'm sure it's not that big to you anymore. And I'm sure now you're thinking, all right, how do I tackle 1,000 units or 1,500 units? You know, it's a mindset. Absolutely. And uh, the, the ready, fire, aim mantra, I'm sure, wasn't discussed when you were in the military, but it is now, right? <laughs> in real estate. <laughs> yeah, no, I, listen, I, I didn't coin that term. I just love it and I use it a lot. But you're right. You know, at this point, you know, when, when you look back and you think about what you've accomplished, you think about how much more you could have accomplished if you weren't so nervous the whole time and you weren't so worried. You know, at some point, you got to take a risk in this business. And, you know, a lot of times, if, you're calc- if you take calculated risks, they're going to pay off big time. When you going back to those the investors um, that you work with, when you get introduced to a new investor, do you have a presentation like a PowerPoint presentation that you walk them through, or is it just a conversation? Do you always meet them in person? Like, what's the initial conversation look like when you're speaking to a new investor? As far as if it's a presentation, one-on-one meeting, a phone call, what do you do? Yeah, definitely. I love this question. I always meet in person. It's always a one-on-one thing. And it is definitely not, um, it's not scripted. There's no presentation. You know, working with a private lender is a very, very personal thing. It's got to be, A, it's got to benefit. It's got to make sense for them. So when I'm meeting people that, that have money, what I'm trying to do is just figure out if we are a good fit for them. You know, if we're a good fit for their money or their, their investment. If they're not, I'm really interviewing them. I know it sounds crazy. It's kind of backwards. But, you know, when I'm dealing with a private investor, I want somebody who's really going to be comfortable lending money and then being, you know, for for all intents and purposes, a silent partner. You know, I don't want somebody I'm going to loan money to that wants to call me three days a week and make sure the project's on track and make sure that, you know, we're doing what we said we were going to do. And, you know, all those things that could become really cumbersome in your life. I mean, picture yourself having, you know, 10 or 20 investors and having to answer them all day long. So luckily, our investors are not like that at all. The, the ones that we work with, you know, are happy. They understand the process. They get a great return. They're comfortable with it. And for the most part, I would say over 90% of our investors just continue to give us their money. You know, when a deal closes, they all they want to know is when's the next deal going to happen. You know, those are the kind of people that you want in your life. You don't really want the people who are going to nag you and bother you and, you know, question you about your business. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Let's go. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land. They're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D dot com forward slash best ever. What's the best ever book you've read? Recently, 10X by Grant Cardone. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? 
joining a mastermind and realizing that there's a lot of players out there that are on way higher levels than I ever thought and being able to uh, communicate with those people one-on-one. Best ever deal you've done? It's a combination of a couple of deals. I've been buying duplexes in this place called Medford and I've been able to utilize seller financing. All the, all the tricks and systems that I teach all happened in this, in this one culmination of four duplexes that I bought. But essentially, I was able to finance and then refinance with a bank. And then I talk about all this in the podcast. But uh, that was the best ever culmination of deals that I've done over the last couple of years. These multiple duplexes that we've taken down. Not just a money thing. Because it was cool, we utilized a lot of different practices. Best ever way you like to give back? Best ever way I like to give back. We started a, a foundation this year, which I'm really excited about. Because I was a veteran and um, it's really close to my heart, we have a foundation that actually helps veterans that are returning from war to, uh, to my houses, make their lives better, uh, depending on what they need. If they need uh, wheelchair modification or if they need and just about anything, anything to help their families cope with the transition and all those things. So we actually will start that foundation and raise a good amount of money this year. So I'm excited about it. And what's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Gee, that's a tough question because I really feel like every mistake that you make in real estate is a learning curve that's going to just you know propel you in the future and you know keep you from making it again. I would say the biggest mistake was the first deal, actually putting my own money in and not having a, a solid way of knowing how to get it back out. And it's still sitting there. But, you know, I still feel like it's a learning curve. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, I feel the same way. And I feel like, you know, every mistake isn't necessarily a mistake. It's a, a character building experience. And as long as we learn from it um, and then we apply it to get us to, Definitely. you know, bigger places. What's the best ever place to reach you? You can check me out at theflipking.com, theflipking.com. And there's actually a contact request button. You can also email me at joe at theflipking.com. And uh, I actually love interacting with, uh, with fans and, and folks that are looking to better the business. So feel free to email me anytime. Well, Joe, thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and talking about how you structure your your deals with investors, how you uh, don't give them equity, you give them basically a, a fixed percentage uh, return on their investment, and then you have multiple exit strategies depending on kind of where the property takes you and, and what's most desirable, whether it's putting new long-term financing on it and then cashing your investor out or doing the traditional flip um, and then cashing it out that way. And then your overall approach of ready, fire, aim, where you don't necessarily get caught up in an uncomfortable state. You surround yourself, as you mentioned later in the lightning round, with others who are achieving at greater levels and you elevate to their level just by surrounding yourself with them and then kind of implementing the things that that you're learning from them and, and applying it in your own business. So thanks so much for being on the show and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for having me. 